You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Welcome to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. For this episode, I want to introduce you to uh, John Stone. John is an active duty Navy Chief Petty Officer. So those in other branches of the service in the enlisted ranking, we go from E1 all the way to E9. John is a E7. But in the Navy, we don't call them E7s. We call them Chief Petty Officers. And for all you sailors out there that are wearing anchors, you understand that. Uh, John, uh, how are you today? I'm good. Real good. I'm glad to be here. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come on and chat with you. Well, thanks, John. So uh, really, uh, do me a favor. Tell everybody where you, where you happen to be right now. So I'm out in uh, Misawa, Japan on a, um, a deployment out here with the uh, van operational debt. So we're, I have a crew of about 40 people out here and we're on deployment. We're stationed out of uh, Whidbey Island, Washington, and um, we're doing our thing out here. First time in Japan. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And, um, you know, it's not too shabby. Well, great. Great to, to be out there leading uh, at the tip of the spear. That's what we are referred to back when I was stationed in Japan back in the late 90s. Uh, yep. So, John, I'd like to uh, just start this off with just a little bit of a, a humor, if you will. So uh, what's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave you? Hmm. There's been a few, you know, when you've been in as long as we've been in, you, you come across all kinds of different types of leaders. And, you know, and someone once told me, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones, take what applies to you and um, spit out the rest. And I think the one that really stuck with me is... Um, I remember uh, it was actually a warrant officer said, you know, I was talking to him about a sailor and, and he said, uh, um, their family didn't come in their sea bag. Mm. And, um, yeah. and, um, and, and that's a common thing you hear uh, from time to time. And um, to me, I think that's probably one of the worst things you can say to a, a sailor because uh, we're humans before we're sailors. And, um, you know, if a sailor isn't, doesn't feel like they're able to take care of their family or we're not taking care of them so they can take care of their family, then I think it's it's a lot easier to lose them in regards to respect or, or just the ability to for them to follow you. And um, so that was probably the worst um, leadership advice I got. You know, I'm I'm more of a uh, get to know the, the sailor as a person first. Are you married? What's her name? You know, what's his name? How many kids do you have? You know, how old are they? And because they do actually it's it's a package deal at the end of the day. And um and it's unfortunate when we have to make someone choose between their career and their family. And sometimes it comes down to it. We have to, but you still should uh, tailor the way you, you speak to people um, to get the best outcome. Yeah. You, you know, I, I've heard that saying before. And one thing about, even if you say something like that tongue in cheek or in jest, you don't know where the person happens to be at, at that point in time where you would make that comment. And, and that may have that negative, that re reverse effect. And, and to your point, you may not, you may not realize the effect that it had in that person, but they do. And that may be critical, whether they ever come back to you as a leader, whether they ever trust you or confide in you because of that response. I certainly hope when I met you back in the uh, early 2005, 2006, probably six, uh, on board making island. I hope I didn't make a comment like that to you. No, uh, no, so that, definitely not. That's why we're still friends today. <laughs> thank goodness. Well, I've we're always still looked friends. up to you since day one. So um, well, I appreciate it. And I, I, I've always looked up up to you and, and Sarah and all that you guys uh, brought to the command. And, and uh, when we were able to get reacquainted at the foundry, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about that. So 
um, you know, I mentioned so so share a little bit um, um, share a little bit about why you came into the Navy. You know, where where John Stone in in, in three minutes or less, where you came from, and you know what brought you into the Navy and and to Japan. Well. Um... I grew up in a little town that had about 8,000 people. Um, everybody either worked in a factory or was a farmer. We had a couple of restaurants people worked at. And, it, you know, I just felt like I was limited to what I, I could do with my life, you know, and nothing against farmers or anything like that. But growing up as a kid on a farm, you know, I, I did not want to do that the rest of my life. Like I, I was working very hard and um, and I just I don't know, something told me I was destined to do something bigger or different and get out there. You know, before I joined the Navy, I'd never rode in an airplane or flew. I'd never seen the ocean, none of that. So, um, I just, so my, I had, my dad was in the army, uh, for a couple years and, um, my cousin was in the military and it just so happened the Navy called me first. And, um, you know, when they were talking to me, I was like, wow, this sounds like a really good deal. And I knew I wanted to join the military of some sort and, um, uh, talked to a recruiter and, um, the rest was history. I, I was excited. You know, I was dating my high school sweetheart at the time and I, I knew eventually we were going to get married. I just knew it, you know, and I wanted to be able to take care of her. And, um, that was the best approach. I knew they would pay for college and, um, I'd be able, you know, and, uh, I, I wasn't one of those people that, you know, you get to boot camp. boot camp was nothing like I thought, you know, I, you know, I was thinking like the movies, you get there and these people are like proud to serve their country. It's game time, like everybody, but you have people from all different situations. Some didn't have a choice, jail or military. Some, their parents forced them because they were living in their house. Some, you know, so many different stories. And that was kind of my first taste, like we're all different humans, and but it brought us all together. And um, now since I've seen several countries and, you know, deployed and done different things. And so, um, you know, that's really the reason I joined the Navy and kind of my adventure. You know, my first flight was from uh, boot camp over to A school in Pensacola, Florida, and the rest was history. So what what job did you come in as? What do you do in the Navy now? An aviation support equipment technician. Okay. So growing up on a farm, you know, that's they were the jack of all trades, diesel mechanics, welders, I mean, electricians, you name it, you know, we do it. So, so fast forward, I believe it was uh, right around 2000 and... Uh... 13, uh, 13, 14, when you made chief, uh, 15, 15, yeah. 2015. So 2015, uh, on board the USS Essex with the finest command master chief, master chief, Matt Danforth, uh, who will be, uh, separating, retiring after his 30 plus years uh, in June, by the way. Um, so, uh, came back from deployment in December and, uh, and this will get into the here in a minute the leadership quality of compassion, which is what I want to talk about. But I, I think you know, knowing you, you were shown such compassion um, after deployment. Share share what happened to to Team Stone. Well, you know, 2015 was a good year for me, uh, one of my best. You know, I made chief uh, first time up. You know, in a rate that was essentially locked up and they said it was impossible, you know, and I, I made it in between shore duty and sea duty um, on leave actually and went out to the Essex. I mean, I was so excited. First year chief went through the season. I was motivated helping others and um, it was a great deployment. I learned a lot, great leadership and um, got back and uh, from that deployment and three days later found out Sarah, my wife, my high school sweetheart um, had stage four appendix cancer. 
And I mean, it was a serious blow. I was on leave um, when we got back from that deployment. And that's when we found out. And it was a couple weeks before Christmas. And um, it was just, it was, it, it was a, it was huge. It was a huge deal. You know, you, you would have never guessed it. She was 28 years old, healthy. Um, you know, I was 29, getting ready to turn 30. Um, and, and there we were. And, um, and I remember calling my CMC and, um, and calling the command and they were like, you do what you have to do. We got it here, you know? And, um, they were so, you know, the opposite of what you hear sometimes, you know, they're very compassionate and what do you need from us? That was the first thing they said. And, um, and it, it, was, it was incredible, you know, and um, we went to the hospital. She went surgery, went into surgery a couple of days after. Um, and um, it was just a few days before Christmas. And um, it was crazy. It was crazy times. You got to imagine I just got back from deployment and I, I have a family of four, um, three girls, one boy, one with special needs. And Sarah took care of all of them while I was gone. He was getting his services three days a week and doing everything. And um. I was ready to come back and relieve her and be there and work together. And we had all these plans. And then um, it was like God took my life like a snow globe and just went. And, um, you know, it was crazy. And I didn't know how it was going to work, but I just knew it would. And um, and that's where, you know, faith came into play. And, and um, you know, and the same thing Sarah said, you know, the first question after her surgery, when she found out it was stage four appendix cancer and it had spread and all these different bad things was, um, what, what do I need to do to get out of here? Um, so I can be home on Christmas with the kids, you know, and, and, and Johnny and, um, you know, and she ended up getting out that Christmas night, a few days later, uh, 10 o'clock at night, you know, we got home and we surprised the kids and ended up being one of the best Christmases ever, which proves that it's not about what's happening to you. It's about how you react to what's happening to you. You know, my wife had stage four cancer. We had no, you know, idea how long left we're going to have together but it still ended up being the one of the best Christmases we had ever had, you know? And so, um, and there we were, and it, it was a crazy journey. And then that, 10 short months later, she ended up passing away. Um, it, it was our last of everything. And we didn't know that, you know, we, we were optimistic. We we're always finding the good, you know, we figured it was going to work out no matter what. And, um, we got this and we were always, um, and it got hard. And it didn't matter. I mean, it was crazy. The kids, we had four kids. They wanted to see Sarah. And, um, you know, and I had to constantly uh, kind of keep them away from Sarah because she was sick and um, and all these different things while also taking care of the Navy and doing all these different things because I, I wanted to be the MIG pond. You know, that was my goal. And um, I wanted to prove to the, the world that I could become a CMC while also dealing with hardship. And, um, and so... I was just trying to muscle through and, um, and I did, but that was my first taste of knowing that, um, or learning that it's okay to ask for help, you know? And I, and I remember finally I was so tired and I said, I just can't do it. And, uh, one day the chiefs, um, from my mess showed up and randomly started mowing my yard and doing things. And I didn't ask. And I was like, wow, you know, I really needed that actually. And, um, and so, you know, after that deployment, it, it was crazy. And that's what, why I tell people how, you know, and remind people that how important it is to get out there and truly live and don't wait for something bad to happen. You know, and we, it was that Halloween, that following Halloween, 10 months later. And, um, this was our probably, you know, hundreds of ER visits and, and, and different stays. And we ended up being our, um, our last ER visit. It was right before Halloween. We went in and, um, you know, that night it was just like, um, 
you know, you see in the movies, um, it was about three in the morning, all her machines started beeping and going off like crazy. And I jumped up, ran over there, hit the, the emergency button, all these people ran in and it was insane. And, um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. And I, and I looked through and, and, and then this doctor just looked at me and, and, and he says, you're going to have to make the hardest choice probably of your life right now, you know, and, um, you can choose to put her on life support. And um, we don't know how much longer we'll have with her, but she will definitely suffer. You know, we can't treat the cancer while she's um, on life support. And um, or we can take her up to the ICU and um, she has anywhere from four hours to I believe it's 48 hours left with us and we'll make her comfortable. And I was like, holy crap, you know, I, you know, she had just turned uh, 30 or 29. And, um, you know, we're just sitting there. I was like, I can't believe this is how our life has turned out. You know, I can't. It was insane. And um, so I ended up, I looked right through the crowd of people and she looked right at me and winked and I kind of knew what I needed to do. And we had had these talks before and um, she, I chose the ICU and went up there and, um, you know, and I remember she gave me a pass down, you know, and I've said this a few times and some, you know, and you've heard it a million times, you know, and she made me promise three things, you know, no matter what, continue to find the good in every day continue to do good things for others and open your heart up for love again. And, um, and, uh, that third one, I was like, uh, no, I guarantee that's never happening, you know? And she's like, you have to promise me, you know, you're young and someone deserves to feel love, um, from you and you deserve to be loved again. And, and, um, I was like, yeah, we'll see about that, you know? And, and then she told me she has no regrets in life and that's because of me. And, um, you know, it, it was a, it was a pretty magical moment actually. And it was one of the hardest and best moments of my life, if it makes sense, you know, because, you know, I knew she was going to be going to a, a better place and she was suffering so bad at this point. Like if anybody that knew her, she was always trying to smile, but I mean, it, you know, getting sick, um, you know, I remember she would get sick and, you know, she had a puke bowl and I would run and empty it out and run and dive on the bed so I could get there back in time. And, and it was just, it was so extremely hard and I wouldn't wish it upon our, our worst enemy. And, um, but remember while all this is all going on, I'm technically on sea duty. And, um, and it just so happened that our ship pulled into the yards and, um, for a yard period for 18 months. And so my, my chain of command took good care of me. They could have sent me off to, you know, pawn me off to hums duty or done something else. And, and I told them, please don't, you know, I want to be, um, competitive. I want to make a difference. I love you guys. I want to support. And they, they had my back to the very end, you know, and they put on a, when Sarah passed away, they put on a special memorial service for her with the command because that's how many lives she had impacted. And, um, and they were there and, and, and by the grace of God, uh, you know, um, Captain Quinn, he was a, a cancer survivor, so he could relate. And that's where I knew I was put the right place at the right time, you know, um, and so his wife was super nice and she knew what it was like to be a, you know, a caretaker and, and take care of somebody with cancer. And they were just so supportive. And I still talk to, you know, a lot of the people from the Essex today. And um, so when it, I know I went on a little bit past, but it's, uh, no, it's great. It's great. You know, yeah. That story I could talk about forever because it was the hardest, but also yeah. taught me the most about life and, um, and love and, and how important it is to just smile and, and pause for a second, you know, and find your good. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we talked about, you know, the compassion as a leadership quality, I just think about the, those 11 months and how much compassion you were shown, um, by the leaders at your command, 
by by strangers because I know that you guys uh, recorded, if you will, this journey uh, on social media. Um, so there was a lot of support and compassion by people that that you've probably never met to this day. And how have you been able to, you know, in, encapsulate a compassionate attitude or a compassion style of, of leadership, or maybe style is not the right word, but that quality of compassion, how, how do you show that as a leader today? And, and especially in the military, oftentimes people look at military as positional leaders, just listen, I'm, I'm senior than you, you will do what I tell you to do. They don't look at us as being compassionate, but yet you just spent a few, few months talking about the compassion that was shown by the, the captain of a, uh, of a small aircraft carrier. And then on, on so how do you show compassion? Well, and also I just checked in. They had only known me for about six or seven months, just pretty much that deployment. And um, it shows, it, and, it, it, and that type of leadership impacted me for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, here I am years later still talking about them by name. And um, that's the kind of legacy I, I feel like as a leader, we should want to leave behind. Uh, you know, life is way bigger than just, getting the job done sometimes there's a time and a place I call it putting my chief hat on sometimes it just is what it is like I it, I don't have time to talk to you about it but I, here's what I'll do um, go do what I asked and then when you're done come find me and I'll explain why and um and it only takes what three seconds to explain that instead of saying because I said so and it's just and people are going to remember you for one of two things either for doing something that impacted their lives in a negative way or a positive way and um and it's important to remember you can't control how people see you. You may be trying your best, but um, I think when you're when you're coming from a good spot, you're coming from the heart, and um, you you just you truly care, and they know you care. Um, that you can't go wrong with that kind of leadership style because your sailors will follow you just about anywhere if you're there for them when the time comes, and you don't say things like "Oh, well, your family didn't come in your sea bag," or "It is what it is." You know, and sometimes it may be what it is and you have to do it right now. But why why does it have to be? It's it's never that simple. Sit down and explain why and what you could do to help to at least make it better while we're here. You know, same thing, this deployment, you know, being out here, there's all kinds of sailors with different situations. And even though it's a different kind of deployment, not a ship, um, it's still some a lot of these guys and gals first deployment. So they have nothing to compare it to, you know, so. Of course, I can walk around and say, at least it's not the ship, you know what I mean? But this is their first deployment, you know, so this is the worst they've seen. And so so the mastering the art of putting yourself in other people's shoes is beyond important when it comes to being not just a leader, but a human, um, because there's enough hate negativity out there. You know why? There's no point in leading with it. And, um, you know, and there's a time and a place. But I think me, how I, I tailor my leadership style is just getting to know the sailors as a, as a human being before it comes time for me. Then when I do have to say things like, oh, because you just got to do it, they understand why, because we know each other. They, I've sat them down. They know that I, I'm here for their best interest or the mission or both. Do you find that getting to know your, your, your people uh, as human beings, do you find that you're the one that has to initiate those conversations, share whether it's a, a sto the story that you just shared or some other um, stonism? Um, to get them to open up first? Yeah, I, I, almost 100% of the time, because that's just how it's set up in the military. You know, growing up in, in the Navy, 
when I was young, your chief, you never talked to him or her unless you were in trouble or you were getting some sort of award. And so that's kind of the stigma that's set up that was, and it's still kind of around, you know? And so um, and when it comes to deck plate leadership, that means being out there and, and talking and that doesn't, and sometimes we do, you know, we overstep and we take the power away from the first classes and the E6s and it's hard, it, 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 you have to create that balance. But in regards to um, the sailors, that's how I build rapport with them because that's how I can remind them like I may be a chief, but I'm still a human too. And I've been through this hardship and we all have been through hardships or will or did or, or are going through it. And I want them to know that they can talk to me because I've been through it. And most everybody has. It's just um, I feel like my purpose is to is to use our story to help as many people as I can. And um, rather it's the Navy or not. And that way they can come to me and say, at least he knows what it's like to, you know, be away or, or have to choose between his family and his career and this and that and all kinds of different ways. So it just automatically builds rapport uh, with them on a personal level. That way they can come to me and when they need something. You know, so so John mentions a story. So uh, for those that don't know, uh, John has a book I have it right here called Finding the Good. And, and this is uh, the story of John and Sarah's journey. Um, it's a great read, quick read, and it's inspiring. It's upsetting from a sad perspective, but it's motivating uh, because we all um, we all have the we all, we all have that thing, right? Um, whether it's the loss of a loved one or it's some other catastrophe, uh, heavy is heavy, right? Yeah, and and we all experience heavy. I know one of our leadership classes, I think the last class, you just got to suck the suck, I think is what you said. Embrace um, the suck. You know, you got to do suck. that sometimes. You just got to embrace the suck. And, and and you guys had to, you had to embrace the suck and, and you embrace it by finding the good and, and finding something positive out of every situation. And, uh, and, and it continues. And I appreciate you taking the time, uh, with so many of our, uh, specifically the foundry leadership class, the class that we have for E6s. John is a, uh, he's been speaking at that for several, several years now, uh, sharing the full, uh, the full story and so much, so much more. Um, in fact, you're one of the reasons why we, we put Kleenex in the, uh, in the, <laughs> in the material now that we send them. Um, so John, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book, is there a place that they can go? Yeah, um, the quickest and easiest way is just to jump on Amazon and search for Finding Good. Um, it'll all pretty much automatically pop up. And there's the Kindle version and then also the um, actual book um, you can order. And um, it's it you know it's on Prime, it's on everything. And it's you can jump online and find it at like Walmart, uh, Barnes & Noble and things as well. And then for like a signed copy, you can reach out personally to me and um, I can sign one and, and ship it out. But um, the easiest and quickest way is just through Amazon and um and go from there. Yeah, and if uh, if if you're a E6 out there listening to this, and if you ever uh, attend one of our Foundry courses, uh, you'll get a copy. So if you buy one now, you'll get a second one uh, later. <laughs> if you don't buy one, put in for the course. If you get selected, then you'll end up with the book. Um, you know, John, it's it's always great to talk with you, and and you're so uh, as a you know nowadays back back in my day, it would be genuine. Now it's authentic, um, but you know when 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 people meet John Stone, what you see right in here, right now is is you, 
um, always has been as, as long as I've known you. And, um, did you ever, uh, did you ever fulfill the third promise? Oh yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So now if you didn't know, I'm remarried, um, to a beautiful woman named Wendy. Um, and we have six kids combined, um, five girls, one boy, my son, Jackson, even our dog is a girl. And, um, you know, and so, I mean, and, and like you heard, you know, I'm on deployment now and, and, you know, and it's tough because it's scary because my last deployment I came back from my, I missed out on all that time and my wife got sick, you know, and I'm like, that's still a thought in the back of my head. Like, please don't, you know, especially as things happen. And if we end up staying out here or different things and whatever, um, I'm like, come on, God, yeah, you know, make sure we're all healthy. I need some more time, you know, and, um, but, um, and she does a lot. She's holding it down at home. I mean, she's, she's doing an incredible job with all of them and, and blending a family isn't, isn't easy. And, um, but we did it and we do it and we still find the good in every single day. And, um, you know, she's, she's an incredible woman. And the fact that she came into my life, I think she was a, a gift from, uh, from Sarah and from God, you know, came into my life right when I needed her the most. And, um, you know, we haven't looked back since. And so, um, you know, and it wasn't one of those things where I was looking for, uh, you know, to find someone else or anything. Like I always remembered the first two promises. I never really thought much about that third one. And then it just yeah. happened naturally. You know, they, yeah. they have the same birthdays actually. And that's how we ended up talking. So wow. um, it's crazy. Well, you know, and that's a whole uh, other story. In that's itself. a whole other story. Yes. That's, 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 that's the next time we talk, but you know, the, uh, the job of the Navy wife, the job of the military wife, uh, is much more difficult than the job that we have, especially even on deployment. You know, here you are focused on your sailors and what have you, where Wendy's back home, take care of everything. Although <laughs> just to share prior to John coming on here, he did have to field the phone call uh, from the kids. Uh, modern yeah. technology, right? So, <laughs> yep. well, listen, John, uh, one final question, uh, just, just a, a total segue, but just, you know, we, we've all made, uh, we make leadership decisions all the time. Uh, not all of them are the right decision. Have you ever made a bad decision that you got lucky? Kind of, I dodged that one. Um, I would say my biggest thing, and I've done this a few times. Oh, um, you're is, supposed to learn after the first, but not to do it uh, again. Well, it's just being too nice, you okay. know, because, um, you know, I had a sailor and um, it worked out because, you know, I, I kind of just let things slide. I was a brand new, like I said, chief. Um, and, um, I, I was more worried about how they may feel than the act like, and sometimes it takes pain to grow. It takes challenges to grow. And, um, I was unaware of that. So I kept letting things slide and slide. And then smaller problems with that sailor started to, I could see it now, like it clicked. Thank God I caught it in time that, Hey, this is about to turn into a way bigger problem than it needs to be. And that's because I, um, being the nat naturally I'm unconfrontational. I don't like confrontation yelling at people or getting into people is not part of who I am to a core, but I will, if I have to, and, uh, that it's came easier. It's come easier as I've been a chief now for, you know, six years or whatever. But, um, and so what happened is that sailor, you know, I just kept kind of coddling him like, Hey, all right, I'll let that one slide. Don't worry about it. But how are you doing? You know, and just so worried about how he may feel. And, um, and then it took that hard conversation and that sailor didn't talk to me for, for like three months. You know, I had to get into him. I said, all right, knock it off. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. And I said, and you're just, you're bringing down the crew and this, and I had that hard conversation. And, and, and let me tell you, he pouted for a few months. 
And then finally, you know, he turned himself around. He ended up being sailor of the quarter and all this different stuff. And he came to me and he was like, you know what? That's what I needed, chief. And, and um, that was kind of my one of my aha moments as a first year chief that it's OK to be the bad guy every once in a while. Not everybody's going to like you, but sometimes it takes that a little bit of recalibration um, because that's, you know, that's our job as a leader. It's not always easy, but you got you got to step out of your own comfort zone and get them into the, out of their comfort zone to free both to be the best versions of yourself, you know? Oh, that's good. That's good. People like boundaries and, uh, he'll thank you for it. If he hasn't already, that's, you know, I, uh, heard I said one time, people don't usually come and find you and say, Oh, I so much appreciated all the time you gave off and all, all the great things and niceties you gave to me when I was coming up through the ranks. But the ones that say, you know what, that time you took me to disciplinary review board, or you gave me extra military instruction, or you, you know, held me accountable boy that made an impact yeah so well listen john um thank you for taking time from the day uh to join us to to share about uh who you are about being a, a leader with compassion uh once again john's book finding good available at amazon walmart barnes and noble pick up a copy if you want a signed copy you could just email me Simply email admin at elf365.org in the subject line, put John Stone, and I'll make sure that gets to John and you can com communicate with him and, and get you out that signed copy. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, where we're building America's leaders. This has been another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. Tune in next time where you'll hear another great lesson on leadership.